I can't draw <laughs> or paint, <laughs> but this is my creativity, I guess, mm -hmm. is looking at a situation and then being able to say, okay, if we do this, this, and this, this might work. The NeuroFeed Podcast. How is clinical neurofeedback transforming lives? We talk with therapists, researchers, and home users. From the intersection of neuroscience and therapy, these interviews tell stories of discovery, empowerment, and learning to thrive. Our guest today is Lee Povia. Lee is a New Jersey licensed clinical social worker, a registered play therapist, an approved EMDR consultant, and a board-certified neurofeedback provider. Having worked with children and families, youth in crisis, students in special education, and children with pervasive developmental disorder, Lee has taught play therapy and graduate courses in social work at Rutgers University and continues to mentor clinicians in EMDR and neurofeedback. like see right here yeah there are two um phases that i bought because they look like neural pathways oh <laughs> that's really cool anyway that's how it's affected my life i look at brain waves all the time it's ridiculous a good starting place i think is when you're talking to people who don't really know that much about neurofeedback how do you, what do you, how do you describe it? Mm. Like prospective clients. Right. So, um, typically I'll tell them, you know, I'll give them a little bit of an introduction to the arousal model and I'll explain, you know, sometimes we have too much slow frequency in our brains and it, like, and I sort of, you know, make it exaggerated and we need to ramp that up. Or sometimes we have way too much fast frequency in our brain we need to calm that down and our brain doesn't naturally know how to do that so we can teach the brain how to do that just like we can teach um, someone how to recognize when their heart's beating too fast or when they're breathing too shallow or too um, uh, not like not taking deep breath right or too too fast so we can we can teach the brain how to either ramp up the too much slow frequency or calm down the too much fast frequency. And we do that with a loosely termed video game. And I'm very quick to explain that it's not like, you know, PS3 or whatever version there is out there now. I don't even know. But, um, or Call of Duty, it's not going to be like that. They're simple games and they're uh, pretty mild and honestly sometimes boring so <laughs> so there's that but we are teaching you um to actually control your brain which is a really cool concept i think so uh, i typically start to talk about that and i'll talk about why it's particularly important for that particular client based on um the behaviors that i'm seeing so, I don't know, did that answer your question? Does that? Um, and then sometimes I'll also talk about sometimes people have a hard time maintaining just even a steady state. And so, be, you know, and I'm, I'm Italian and I'm from Jersey, so you get a lot of hand gestures. So 
<laughs> they have a hard time holding a steady state. And when that happens, you know, we need to regulate it so that it, it can, it can, you know, operate more efficiently, more smoothly. And they seem to get that. They seem at some level, they seem to get that. They don't necessarily always care or want to know about which frequency or which sensor placement or, I mean, I do talk to them about that, but typically clients don't necessarily care about that. They just say, make me feel better. Lee, being also an attachment-based clinician, how much do you feel like your relationship with the client plays into either, you know, allowing them to try this new thing or even how, what kind of outcomes you can get? Well, they're not going to try it if they don't trust me. And if they have a hard time building a relationship, um, actually sometimes that works well for neurofeedback. Let me explain. Um, and sometimes it doesn't, sometimes I need to have the relationship first. So, um, if building a relationship is scary for someone, sometimes it is the idea of neurofeedback, which doesn't require a lot of talking, um, unless you're in the room with me and then I'm chatting the whole time and some clients are irritated by that, but uh, I generally only do that when they need to be more comfortable with that kind of environment. Um, but you don't have, you know, it doesn't require a lot of like deep, dark insight, um, at least on the surface. Right. And so sometimes that's more appealing to folks who have trouble attaching or who have trouble in relationship or relating to others. Um, on the other hand, you know, you also have other clients who, if they're not, if they're not able to trust you yet, or if they're not able to trust the relationship yet, they're not going to trust that, Hey, here, willy nilly play with my brain. Like that's not going to happen. So it, you know, it really depends on the client and it depends on sort of how I'm sort of sussing out the situation um, as it's playing out. That's really helpful. I like how you explain it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Um, if, if I can ask what led you to get into neurofeedback oh. way back in the day, oh. <laughs> Leanne, you're killing me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. So that's actually a pretty great story. Um, so it's a, and, and it's kind of sad too. So Get ready for get get there. Just get your tissues. Fantastic. Um. So way back in the day, so I've been a, a an attachment therapist for a long time. Um. I trained in play therapy. I trained in EMDR. I trained in dyadic developmental psychotherapy. And so I sort of made this name for myself working with um kids with reactive attachment disorder. Mm -hmm. I don't really use that term much anymore, but. But back then, I trauma. yeah, right. Um, so, uh, I sort of, I had created this name for myself and, and I had gotten this referral from a local, um, hospital based program that was doing an IOP level of care for a kid. Um, and that kid at the time was 14 and she was coming to see me and she, Every 
um, placement, every foster care placement got disrupted. Um, and and it, it broke my heart. Like I remember coming home one day and I had to help a parent tell her that they weren't that they weren't going to adopt her. Uh, and I held it together in that session and then I came home and I just curled into my husband's lap and sobbed and sobbed. And, and so I, I consulted with amazing therapists, well-known, um, like superstars, uh, in, in every, in play therapy, in EMDR, in DDP, like I, you know, I was consulting everyone with, with, um, any kind of, that, that I believed had any kind of ability to teach me. Yeah. Yeah. And they were experts. Like they weren't, they were big names, um, to, to sort of help this kid. And, um, one of my mentors, her name is Lark Eshelman. She had a program in in Lancaster that included many of these models of therapy, including neurofeedback. And so I would often go to her and I'm like, Mark, I don't, I don't know what to do. I like, she's not getting better. And there was one day, a couple things. There was one day, I think she, I think it was her. She said to me, well, but she doesn't have a mother. You're with her one day a week. She doesn't have a mother. You can't replace that. Um, so that was one. And then the other thing, the whole time she kept saying to me, she needs neurofeedback. She needs neurofeedback. She needs neurofeedback. And, and I kept saying, that's great, but there's no one that does it. <laughs> yep. Um, <clears throat> around me. And I, you know, I reached out to, there's one person locally that did it. I reached out to him and he didn't respond to me. So mm. like, well, damn, I have to go do it. Now I got to look um, myself, I guess. Yeah. And, um, so, so I happened on Ed Hamlin's class because it was on the East coast. Serendipitous. Mm -hmm. Very serendipitous. Um, I do think the moon and stars align for me in, in different capacities. And that was one of them. And so I took the class and he said he did the research with, um, the Eastern European adoptees. And I was like, I need to know you. <laughs> Whatever this is, that's what Whatever I'm doing. This is, we're sticking together. <laughs> and um, so, so I uh, harassed him a bit to take me on as a mentee. <laughs> that's how Ed works. If you don't harass him, you, you know, he's too yeah. yeah, I know. And so, um, so, for seven years, I spent every other week for an hour with Ed going over a mini mass, talking about clients, talking about cases. And I'll never forget the day that for this kid, we did, um, I don't remember what it was called, but it was, um, it was the first default mode network protocol that they had sort of created where it was FCZ, CPZ, and then linked years. And I had all these like, Y cord and all sorts of stuff. And, um, and I trained her for maybe six minutes. And she said to me, I have never in my life felt this calm. 
pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. That was after, you know, trying to do what neurofeedback can do with yoga and, and I'm terrible at yoga. So I just ended up pushing her over in the session. So <laughs> it was a much better approach. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. And so I, for that particular kid, I ended up being the only consistent adult in her life for about five years from um, age 14 to 19. Mm. So uh, she is the reason why I started neurofeedback under duress, um, <laughs> but I did it, and and now I honestly can't imagine um, practicing without it. I know. I feel the same way. We tried in the pandemic, and I learned home use instead of giving it up. Oh, because I couldn't you, do it. You, were, I just went back into the office. Yeah, I did that after six months too. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, so that was sort of, so she was the reason um, that I, that I uh, started. I said it was sad, and it's funny you bring up uh, the pandemic. Unfortunately, that particular kid passed away on the day I got, the day, I found out the day that I got my first shot for COVID, Mm -hmm. the first vaccine. So. Sad. Right. It is very sad. But uh, it, it um, she has had an amazing impact on, um, and uh, she would not, I don't know that she knew this while she was alive, but she has had an amazing impact on my career and so many kids moving forward. Right, right. So. Well, it's a good legacy for her to leave behind, even though she's she's not with us anymore. There's a lot of, when you work with adopted kids, there's a lot of, or kids who have had rad or developmental trauma, there's, you can see such the wonderful person underneath. And it's so hard looking at a brain that just won't work with them. Um, and to, to use the neurofeedback to uncover that beautiful child and, and young adult um, is really something amazing, but it doesn't, it doesn't always work out the way we hope. This is true. I wonder if you could talk about one of the things that seems uh, challenging about particularly the sort of eager approach to doing neurofeedback, this combination of like understanding what is actually happening, what's the neurophysiology, what's the neurobiology, what's what's up with the brain, you know, with all the different, with the actual, I mean, you know, this is this, some of what Dr. Hamlin has really brought out for folks is this sort of understanding of the more neuroscience side of things. And there's also the therapy. I wonder, can you talk a little bit about what that learning process was like for you? Did you find it challenging or what did you find challenging? It was awful. I wanted to, I went to the first NIC conference and I said, what the hell am I doing here? I don't belong here. This is all over my head. I, I don't understand any of this. I need to go home right now. And I didn't. it's okay (laughs) um you know well i mean i why not well was it that first one i don't remember if it was that first so my training trajectory was so i did the intro course and then i think i did the intermediate course that ed was doing and then, um, and then I went to the NIC and I think at the NIC was when 
all these people were talking about all this stuff, all this like neurology stuff. I was like, this is way beyond my capacity. Um, and, and I think that was the, the one, the first one where they started talking about default mode network. And it was also, so, so I was, had that piece. Right. And then I also, at the same time, you know, there are lots of like, remember I said the moons and stars sort of align. So, um, I had a new client, uh, who, um, it was a child and the, the mom emailed me. <laughs> she texted me and she said, there's this great book out. It's called uh, Neurofeedback for the Treatment of Developmental Trauma, right? Yeah, and I was like, brain. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, I know, I'm sitting next to the author. Yeah. <laughs> Best day ever. It was. And she's like, no kidding. I'm like, uh-huh. And so, you know, I was like, <laughs> guess who your next mentor is going to be? <laughs> so... Um, so that it was just funny that that sort of happened. It was, like I said, just very fortuitous. And I was like, okay, so this means I'm supposed to be here. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with that, but it means I'm supposed to be here. So then I had another experience that, um, uh, again, was very, uh, you know, sometimes I just have to look up at the, I don't know what this guy and just say, I'm listening. And, um, so at that conference, um, I recently, like prior to that conference, um, my grandmother had had a stroke and she lost a lot of her speech. And I happened, I was sitting next to Seaburn in Rob Coben's course about coherence training. And so all of a sudden he's talking about we can help stroke survivors or people with TBIs and I was like hmm. hmm let me let me let me think about this and so um so you know after the course I was then quickly going back to my room and calling calling my aunt who was taking care of my grandmother and saying um there's this thing it's called neurofeedback I am practicing it but we can help and we can help more I think I may have started doing C3 C4 just sort of some stabilization training with her but I was like, we can do this more intensely. And so that was actually my first introduction into the coherence model, um, working on my grandmother. I had a lot of experiences with her. I thought I cut her when I used a red marker. <laughs> <laughs> I did not, just so we're clear, I did not. <laughs> Good. Good. Well, it seems so, like you, you just, you found mentors who kind of helped you you know, sort of necessity is the mother of invention. And you found the mentors who taught kind of gave you the path. You just had to do the hard work to follow it. Yeah, I guess. And when I didn't, I mean, sometimes they just appeared when I needed them, like the situation with Ed, and sometimes I had to seek them out. Um, but yeah, I, I have been very lucky in that regard. Um, and have uh, benefited from amazing, just amazing people, uh, you know, mentors and friends. Do you find it hard to integrate the neurofeedback into therapy or maybe hard, but worthwhile or easy? How's that? How do you feel like that is for you? 
I think it has gotten easier for me the more I have learned about the brain, right? So it was it was harder for me at the at first, um, and yet I still had clients that wanted to do it. Um, I you know they say never to when I when I'm teaching EMDR I tell people don't don't try this on your most difficult clients, but those were the clients that I was going to learn neurofeedback for. So they're the ones who got it. Um, and they were, there were, there were benefits. So, um, and because they were, I guess most of them were kids and the parents were so desperate, they were willing to try just about anything. Yeah. Which is sad and, you know, but it's, but it's a, it's a you know, fact of life. Yeah. Um, so I ended up trying with a bunch of, with a bunch of folk and it just, as I was, as I was working with Ed, I was, uh, as I was learning more about the brain and as I was learning more about how, how this is affecting stuff. And then also seeing how, as I was adding in neurofeedback, uh, people's processing changed. All of a sudden they were able to talk about things or that, you know, like memories are more accessible to them or, you know, they were calmer or they were, or, 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 you know what? Sometimes they weren't. <laughs> that was also a learning, learning experience too. <laughs> so, you know, as I learned, I was able to talk more knowledgeably about the brain and talk more knowledgeably about, okay, this is what we're trying to do. It's not always a, a one size fits all. So we may have to tweak things and find your sweet spot, but, um, but we've had a lot of success with it. And I don't try to oversell it either. I also will tell folks, you know what? It doesn't work for everybody, but it's something we could try. And if you want to try it, great. If you don't, that's okay too. No skin off my back. Um, and it just, it kind of started to spell itself. Yeah. It sounds like the more you saw its value, the more you saw how it changes how the brain works, the more you realized, if I do this, the other stuff works better. And, and there's a, there's a value here that makes it worth doing, even though it, you know, takes away from some of the talk time and stuff like that. Yes. And I guess typically I don't let it take away from the talk time. Hmm. Most of the time, if folks do it, it's their, they have an hour session and then they have, you know, an add on maybe. Gotcha neurofeedback time um so it ends up being like an hour and a half or something like that so then you that's that helps because i know you integrate emdr with neurofeedback a lot and i'd love to hear more about that but it's then you have enough time for the emdr because emdr in, in 60 minutes is usually a little squished for for some folks well i have some thoughts about that but <laughs> This is not an EMDR podcast. Um, no, they, you know, I have to, you have, with each of the clients, you have to figure out what they need. Some clients come in and they need the calming of the neurofeedback so that they can then go into an EMDR session, right? EMDR is going to help them make sense of their experiences, their world, maybe help them um, developmentally mature, whatever it is for that particular client. So some clients need it on the way in so that they can do whatever therapy. 
we're talking about EMDR, but it could be Santra, it could be um, DDP, it could be whatever. Uh, on the other hand, some client, thinking of one in particular, really, it works better when we do the processing first, because sometimes the processing can be a bit activating. Okay, now we've asked you to talk about all these like horrible memories. Mm. <clears throat> now I'm going to ask you to go home and how, how well regulated will you be when you go home? So a lot of them, many, not all, but many actually work better when they're leaving the office. So they'll meet with me, we'll do our psychotherapy in whatever version we're doing. Typically it's EMDR because, you know, in addition to neurofeedback, I can't imagine practicing without EMDR. But um, typically we'll do our session and then, you know, then we'll do some neurofeedback training so that they can calm and regulate and sort of put away whatever it was that we had just been working on. Yeah. That seems like a nice fit. Um, some of the folks who... So I do, I have, I don't think I have any right now. I have had clients who come to me for just neurofeedback, but who are going to another therapist for whatever their psychotherapy is. Um, and for those folks, at times, I will actually incorporate some of the bilateral stimulation from EMDR into their neurofeedback training. So while they're training, they can be holding tappers or, you know, some version of that. And by doing that, it helps us to reduce some of the slow frequency, which they need anyway. So um, so that's been pretty helpful. doesn't really help with a lot of fast frequency stuff, but um, but that part of TMDR tappers, we're going to have to try that. <laughs> it, again, I'm not saying anything works for everyone, just so we're clear. Nothing ever works for everyone. That's just not the way this is true. This is true. And I do have to plug for Lee that she is an EMDR trainer and a fantastic uh -huh. one at that. And we might be neurofeedback, but I very much, the way that Lee teaches neurofeedback, especially if you work with developmental trauma, uh, early life trauma, um, is really a phenomenal approach. And I wouldn't, I can stay strongly if I was to go in that direction and do it more EMDR, Lee would be the way that I would go. So huh. I'll plug that for you on while you're on here with us. <laughs> Thank you, Leanne. You would appreciate it. <laughs> I'm learning to read cues instead, but otherwise I might go your direction. I don't want to do that ever. <laughs> <laughs> you can do all that you want. <laughs> that, that is a beautiful thing about this world is, you know, you find the direction that makes sense for you and your brain. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, because, so since you brought that up and you had asked that question previously, you know, I don't need a lot of time. I can do a lot of processing in a short amount of time, as long as I do the prep work beforehand. And I guess that's a big difference in the way that. Yeah. And neurofeedback's part of that prep work, it sounds like. It can be. It can be. Yeah. So. The things that comes up for me is that, is how different, um, for many of the clinicians that I talk to there, it's, it's like the starting point of the therapy and the neurofeedback and EMDR and whatever is really coming from a different place from, uh, the sort of medical model that I learned about, you know, mental health or whatever. Right. 
uh, this idea that uh, that you go to a clinician and they will fix you, they'll treat you, they'll they'll whatever. And there's this there's this part of of uh, the way that many clinicians approach it, which is really about empowering the person to learn to self regulate, to learn that kind of thing. I wonder if you could talk about how that how that shift is how it's been for you Did, were you instinctively just kind of drawn to this idea of like this it's about empowering my clients to begin with or was that part of the the sort of you know a transformation for you of as you've been doing neurofeedback mm. i wasn't drawn to neurofeedback because i would because i had this intrinsic draw i was like i said i was pushed into neurofeedback under duress <laughs> Pulled in, kicking and screaming. Yes. <laughs> but Mark's good at that. She's got Kate pulled in that way, you know? I know, I know. I know. She, again, another person who has been very instrumental in, you know, sort of my career trajectory. Anyway, um, so I think that, you know, look. I only want to do things that have some sort of like, hey, this is really successful. This is a this is a good model. This is a whatever. I'm not just um, sort of willy nilly uh, approaching types of therapy, right? On the other hand, I also have this like very kind of I you know often refer to it as like the woo woo side, like the metaphysical, the the intuitive, the almost like a holistic kind of approach right so forever i hate taking medication for anything i hate um i mean if i have to i have to that's you know i'm not opposed to it necessarily but if i can avoid it i try to and um if there's a way for me to treat something without some sort of invasive kind of approach then i always naturally do that and I also think about my own children and what would I want to give them? So at one point, my oldest, one of the doctors said they think she had scoliosis. And so in that case, I was like, okay, researching. And then there's like some energy work that claims that they can, you know, treat scoliosis. Turns out she doesn't have scoliosis. So we never needed to test that theory. But that was my, like, I, I, I wanted to find a way to help her. Um, that wasn't so invasive or painful for her, right? And so, um, so I, re you know, I sort of searched those things out. And I think when folks come to me, the the ones that stay with me or the ones that want to work with me are ones that have a similar mindset. They don't want their kids on medication. They don't want to be on medication. Um, they may be using medication because it's what they know to do because someone told them they had to or something like that. But, um, but they don't, they don't uh, necessarily want that for themselves or for their children or their loved ones or whoever. And so it really has sort of worked out in that they, the ones who like this approach gravitate towards me. Um, and so I don't, I don't, Lars, I don't know if that's answering your question, but it is. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. What I'm hearing is that you, um, that, that this is part, 
I mean, it's a, it's a, it's some of what, what I know about you as a person in the world is that you, you, you are just approaching it from the standpoint of what, how, you know, it's that old idea of like, first of all, don't, don't do any harm. Uh, and then, you know, if I can help a person to actually can just by empowering them to kind of like learn some new things, then I'm going to do that first. If medication is necessary, obviously then it's necessary. Um, but yeah, that totally makes sense to me. Um, I, I also think that neurofeedback rules, sometimes self rules out people who don't want to do the work themselves. Um, in that you have to show up twice a week, usually to really, you know, once a week's okay, twice a week. It's work. I got to get there. We're not usually near where they live. Occasionally it lucks out that way, but often it's a commute. You got to show up. You got to bring the kid um, twice a week for a good period of time. And you've got to, in these cases, if they're doing an hour and a half, that's committing a good amount of funds uh, to the process. So I think self selectively, the people who come in our door and stay around are ones who are, want to work hard. And if on our side, we can empower them that they're regulating their brain through neurofeedback, I'm just giving them the feedback. Um, and EFDR is very much the same way. You're providing the the mode of reprocessing, but what's happening in their head is the work they're doing. Um, you know, they work really nicely hand in hand. Um, usually I find the ones that neurofeedback doesn't work well for are sometimes the ones who there's a lot of reasons they can't change their environment, their world. They're not ready for it. Not always, but um, that can be the the case. So my two cents. Yeah, no, I am sort of reflecting on it. There was, I had a thought that I wanted to add in there too. It's gone now though. So. Maybe it'll crop back up. <laughs> yeah. some point. Lars, you seem to have a thought too as I jumped in. No, I, I mean, I was just kind of, uh, it's actually on a totally different track. It occurred to me that uh, some people that may be looking at our discussions um, would be curious, like, how how does this all fit in with, um, you know, I have a career as a mental health professional. How is that going to change what I'm doing? Do you feel like there has been a shift in the way that you approach, like, your career or, or like, or your business as a, as a therapy professional, um, you know, what, what, what would you say about that? Like if somebody were approaching you strictly for, you know, we, we talked to, um, Chris Wheeler Doe who said, you know, I had a successful business already. So this was like, I didn't really need to go in and do neurofeedback. Um, it was this whole other thing. And so it became the, you know, we were talking about how you, you know, you, you were really pushed into checking out our feedback as a thing. Um, how does that all fit in, I guess, uh, for you? Like maybe from, from your experience with talking to mentees, like what are, what are some of the, some of the questions that come up for them? Um, I'm curious about, you know, with respect to like, what does this mean for me to be somebody who is really a guide? You know, that's what y'all are, it seems to me, is a, is a guide for folks who are really looking for solutions to, you know, I don't know what to do with my life because I, I feel stuck. So they come to you all and they're asking for, for some guidance about that kind of stuff and, and neurofeedback being one of the tools. I don't know if I'm, if I'm capturing it at all. I think, I think my answer to that question um, would be, you know, Right from the beginning, 
the name of my practice is Center for Dynamic Growth. And I agonized and agonized and agonized and agonized over what was I going to name this, right? Like what could be the title? And the reason, and part of why I was agonizing over it was because what I believe is that there are not, there is not any one model of therapy that works for every, every person. And sometimes it's not even mental health therapy that people need. Sometimes they need occupational therapy. Sometimes they need speech therapy. Sometimes, you know, whatever. They, there's other components, right? So initially when I was creating my business, it, the idea was that I wanted to have a place that would represent having lots of modalities under the same roof. And essentially what the goal in that is is to be able to say, okay, these are all the tools in my toolbox and you're coming in and you're presenting this way. And if I pick and choose the right tools, then I will help you to succeed in whatever your goal is here. And, and I think neurofeedback for me, even though, like I said, I was pushed into it, but um, I think that that just became another tool in my toolbox that I'm able to sort of mix and match with certain folks uh, to help them either enhance their treatment or it can be their only treatment. You know, it all depends on the person, but it becomes more of a, I don't, I don't know if eclectic approach. I don't know if that's the right word, but integrative. Yeah. Thank you. Integrative approach um, versus just saying, okay, if you only come in, we're only going to do EMDR. That does, that feels sort of disingenuous to me. Um, so that was sort of, so I think that neurofeedback was never, it, it just sort of fit in with my philosophy of being um, in business as well as, as a human, I guess. Mm. Like I just, I tend to, I, I, I can't draw <laughs> or paint <laughs> but this is my creativity i guess is looking at a situation and then being able to say okay if we do this this and this this might that's and it's okay. i love that i love that it's a what i'm hearing is that uh it's all really in some way for you it's it's about the flexibility of like okay in this case it looks like this thing could work and being able to kind of say okay well this we'll try we'll try this thing we'll see how that goes we'll try this thing we'll see how that goes and so on and that's a i love how you call that a creative process because that i think you know it really um it it, it illuminates it in an important way you know? yeah and what's also beautiful about that um that i think works well is in an attachment model they, they built a relationship with a person and the more tools that person has, the more they can not have to refer out. Um, mm -hmm. It's one of the challenges that we have and why I screen very carefully to take in clients because we don't have that kind of offering. Um, eventually, I hope to have more clinicians with more, you know, things. Um, but it, it means that once somebody starts, if you don't have it, it's very hard. They, they don't want to go somewhere else to get it. They want to stay with the person they know and trust and have that that relationship with and it gets hard because you're like hey i think you need the emdr and i'm like but i don't do that here's you know here go see this person and it, it can, that referral can be really hard to get them to do it um so i think it's a beautiful um attachment perspective too to keep it to have as many tools as possible for them 
right in house. I think you also bring up another point that um, I think was very important for me is, you know, everything that I did in my office, whether it be in the neurofeedback room or in the waiting room or wherever, you know, I picked paint colors that were calming and soothing. I, you know, I, I make sure that this, the hand soap in the bathrooms have no scent. Like I try to make it so that it's um, as calming to everyone that walks through the door, but also that's inviting. I, I know for a long time, um, I, I, I can't now, it, it has gotten a little bit too big, but, um, and I'm not complaining about that, but, uh, for a long time, even if the client wasn't mine, I knew them. Like I could see them in the waiting room and be like, Oh, hi, whoever, you know? Yeah. I um, still do all the intakes for my entire practice. So I know what you mean. Yeah. And I you can think- only maintain that for so long. Right. And, and I think that part of that, I think part of that is about building the relationship. So in whatever model of therapy and neurofeedback is not, even though it seems like it's more of a medical model, even though it might seem that way, the relationship is still key. Like it is still key. And so I think that just having that, that like warmth and that approachableness and that environment, I think, is important, again, regardless of what model of therapy that you practice, but certainly included in neurofeedback as well. Yeah, absolutely. I have one last question for you. I, not that we have to stop right away, but um, but I, I wanted to ask, like, if, uh, you know, you've been doing this for, for a little while, um, for new, for folks who are just getting started, I wonder if you could offer some guidance. What would you, what would your suggestions be for somebody who's starting out, wanting to be, become a neurofeedback clinician? Keep going to courses, even though it feels like it's over your head. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Each time you attend one, you're going to take away something else. And each little bit that you take away will build on it, build on itself. So that would be takeaway one. Or at least that's what worked for me. Um, and then the other piece is get a mentor that you respect on a lot of different levels. Ed knew all of the different therapy models that I practiced. It wasn't just that he knew neurofeedback. He knew my clients, my my type of clients that I had coming through the doors. And he also knew, he knew EMDR. He knew um, play therapy. He knew, you know, he knew those things. So he was very um, astute. It is always very astute, so to say that it seems weird, but um, but he was always very helpful in helping me to figure out like, okay, if we do this and then we do this, or I saw this in the play, does that mean the neurofeedback works? And he was able to say, yeah, 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 I think it is, or no, that's not connected, or, you know, whatever. So, so I would say keep going to courses, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, and just keep listen like hearing it and you're going to have to hear something about 20,000 times before it really starts to be like oh right duh you know like it it will sort of click at some point but you there it's the repetition that I think is key there and then and then the mentor have somebody that you you have a good relationship with that you can have a good relationship with and that you can you know rely on that you 
that knows your clients. And I'm just repeating myself, but you get the idea. Lee, I think one of the themes that I've heard from you throughout today, even in the embedded in the name of your company is growth. And I hear a repeated theme about, you know, whatever the modality, but especially in neurofeedback, you will keep growing. And it's to seek those opportunities out. It's to find the people that you can grow with and point you in the right direction. And that love of learning, I think, is really important to you. But I also think in the field in general. Um, yeah. Our world of therapy and helping people is just going to continue to evolve from here. So if we want to do right by our clients, we just have to continue to learn all the time. We need to continue to learn and things are changing in the world of the, the brain or in the world of neuroscience. Like things are changing so rapidly right now. So, you know, what you know yesterday is not going to be what, you know, factual tomorrow. So stay abreast of that. Keep on top of that. Um, and it's hard when we're in a mental health crisis and we're never paid enough in this field, but you do your best. Or we don't have enough time. <laughs> well, we could have more time if our hours were paid better. If insurance reimbursement rates paid therapists better, they'd have more time. They wouldn't have to see so many clients in a day and burn out. That's a different discussion. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's tough. It's tough to stay on top of everything that changes. But it's, I hope really that means and you don't have to. I was going to say, but that also, but it doesn't mean that you have to be reading research every day. Like, it, I don't think that that's what it means. It doesn't mean that to me, although maybe I should be reading more research every day. <laughs> but I just turn into Anna. She reads three a day. I know. She got that from Ed. I'm, so, I know. I'm not. Anyway. I, anyway, so, um, but, you know, okay, so you can't, you don't have the time for that. Um I have all sorts of blurbs on Instagram from Gabor Mate, from Dan Siegel, from, you know, all of these amazing, and one I was listening to this morning was from Esther Perel. Like, you know, there's all these amazing people out there um, who have a lot of information to share on a lot of different topics. And so even if you hear a 10 second blurb from them or a minute, whatever, I don't know, even know what they're called because I'm so stupid when it comes to that stuff. But, um, you know, Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> Even if you just listen to that, find the people that are respected, well-respected in the in the field and listen to some of the things that they have to say. And that, even just that little bit will help too. It's not everything that you need. I'm not trying to, please don't think I'm misleading or feel misled by that. It's not everything that you need. But even if you keep up with some of that a little bit, that will help. And all of a sudden you'll have, oh, right. Like, you know, Gabor Mate said something about 80% of military, um, veteran, you know, folks, military personnel who have come out of military with PTSD, 80% of them have had developmental trauma. That's a pretty significant statement. Hmm. So, surprising, but significant. You see it. Right. Right. So, I, you know, I don't know where he got that. I couldn't, I don't, I can't quote it, but I know I saw the reel. So, mm -hmm. um, so sure there's did it in the caption somewhere, somewhere. I don't, but either way, you know, look for opportunities to read and to, 
um, to hear and to just sort of be absorbed in the community. And, and, you know, there are some communities where it is more exclusive <laughs> than other communities. Uh, however, I do feel like our community has always been, yeah, has always been very warm and in, inviting. Even when I, you know, felt like a fish out of water and, and like, I don't belong here. These people are also much smarter than me. Um, even when that happened, I still like it, you know, it was still very warm and embracing. And so I fell into the fold. Here I am. <laughs> that is one of the beautiful parts of the eager community. I had the same experience. I was like, what am I doing here? These people are brilliant. And I'm sitting next to Seaburn, um, you know, and Mike Cohen, who's written books and all this stuff. And they're like, you're just a human and I'm a human and we all deserve to be here. We're trying to help people. Same goal. Welcome to the community. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing. Nobody's above anybody else. Yeah. So keep, keep going. Keep staying, you know. Keep attending, keep showing up. I wonder if I could ask you a random, uh, different question, which is, um, how you said you were asking the last question. I did. I did. I'm totally going back on my word. (laughs) I, uh, have you used any other neurofeedback softwares besides ear? I know the answer. Oh, do you? I guess. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I guess the question is really why is um, I'm guessing that you use m- at least mostly eager, maybe only eager for neurofeedback. And I wonder if you could just talk about why eager. Um, um, so I I use eager for training. And, you know, everybody that I train, I train on eager. I do have a brain master system that I use for um, data collection for cues. Yeah, we have to use something for that, so. So, um, so I do use that, uh, to be fair, I did try to use that for training at one point, but everything in that system was like an add on. I I don't want to, um, bash another company, but it it just, everything was an add on. And so what I thought was a system that I could use to train, I couldn't really train. And then it didn't feel as, um, maybe user-friendly to me. Um, and and with eager, I feel like you just sort of go from left to right. <laughs> like you go here and then next you go here and the next you go here. Um, I've yet to figure out really the home use system process as well as I probably should, although I only have one person doing home use, so there's that. Mm-hmm. Leanne is much more adept at that. Um, we can trade. I could use some more mini-map help. Okay, we'll do that. So, um, yeah, it, it just is, it seems to be me, it seems to me to be more user-friendly. It seems to be, um, sort of more natural and, and really the, the thing that hooked me in from the start with eager was the fact that it was the only system. And I don't know if that's changed at this point, but it was the only system that was ever used in. Um, like the research studies, the bigger, the bigger neurofeedback research studies, um, because it had capabilities to capture data that you might need. So, 
That's great. Thank you. Well, um, Lee, before we go, do you want to plug any of your company, social media, trainings, whatever, whatever have you? Um, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, you know, I don't, right now, I am just coming off of a very busy um, January, February, March, April, month are we in? God. The last, yeah, I, the last couple of weeks, it was um, sort of crazy. I do uh, teach for EMDR Consulting, and I had a course that I was going to do in Grand Cayman at the end of this month, but I didn't advertise it. So what I would like to plug is that there's going to be an EMDR course coming up in Grand Cayman, hopefully in the fall. It's going to be rescheduled for the fall. So it'll be sort of like a uh, like a retreat training. We could do processing on the beach. Who wouldn't want that? Mm-hmm. Um, where can so, they find that info or like, is it your website or is it the consulting website? Um, you'd go to emdrconsulting.com and it'll be up, it'll be up there yep. and as soon as I get the dates planned out, but it'll be sometime in the fall, hopefully after hurricane season. Good idea. Uh, yeah. Um, and then, uh, well, anyway, that's maybe an offline conversation, but, um, so, you yeah, know, so and there hopefully will be more courses coming up both in EMDR. Um, I actually, uh, what the thought was, Lars, I'm thinking about possibly regenerating an old course that we had sort of put together. Oh, yeah. Um, so maybe we can we can do that. And then um, I'm also putting together some advanced EMDR courses, which uh, one is on play in EMDR. Hmm. One is on actually energy work in EMDR. And then um, the other one will be pre-verbal trauma. So I do a lot of pre-verbal trauma processing. And Lee's also a mentor for our practicum when she can fit it in. Yeah. The eager introduction to neurofeedback, she, she mentors the practicum, the hands-on stuff. Yeah. When we can, when we can steal her. I, and I love doing that. I love doing that. The the attendees have been pretty great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you so much, Lee, for, for doing this today. Yeah, anytime. Anytime. Thanks for having me.